This morning, uh, the reason really for this breakout session is so that we would have opportunity to do some follow-up on the plenary session last night. And so if there are things that you want to talk about, that you want to address, uh, I would love to go there. And, and today we have opportunity for Marsha as well uh, to, to share in that. And so uh, we're open to hearing your questions or your experience or your wisdom Correct me where I'm wrong and help us grow together to be what God wants us to be. It would be a privilege if you'd let us show some pictures. Uh, We want to give you a visual of our hospital in in Papua New Guinea, Nazarene Hospital in the highlands of Papua New Guinea. So uh, for the next few minutes, let's watch some video and then we'll get into the rest of the session. You talk. You talk. You buy all right? Yeah, you buy all right. Thank you, Victor. You're welcome. The talk of the morning as we're all arriving. She's sitting outside the OPD by herself with her leg up on a bench. Totally, totally calm, but there's nobody within. There's nobody anywhere.
So Will Rogers says uh, it would be normal to have a breakout session after a plenary session. And what would you like the title to be? And in a, in a moment of uh, excess hubris, I said, uh, count the cost. And uh, a few moments later, I asked for a Marsha consult. And she said, why would you do that? And I had no answer for her. She said, uh, 
What's the cost? I, uh, uh, let me admit to you right, right at the beginning that uh, I haven't suffered. It's been good. And instead, I should have said, consider it pure joy. Consider it pure joy. What a journey it has been. My mom died, but before she died, she wrote us a note, and it sits on the refrigerator, and it's a famous line that you've heard, uh, if God has called you to be a missionary, don't stoop to be a king. And uh, I see that note in mom's handwriting on the refrigerator all the time, and yeah, mom, you're right. You're right. And if God has called you to be a medical missionary, wow, how much better is that? So I can't really talk about count the cost. I, if you guys want to go there, I can do some stories that are one inch deep. But, uh, but uh, the cost for me, uh, it, it just didn't happen. It's been good. If you, if you read Ruth Tucker, Jerusalem, Deary, and Jai, I've read it three times and probably read it on the plane going home again. But, uh, 1876, Alexander McKay, I mean, the, the history of missions is, is just full of these stories. This is not the worst, it's just illustrative. As the leader of his team of missionaries, McKay felt an awesome responsibility. His farewell message reflected courageous determination that such a venture required. Quote, I want to remind the committee that within six months they will probably hear that some one of us is dead. Yes, is it at all likely that eight Englishmen should start for Central Africa and all be alive six months after? One of us at least, it may be I, will surely fall before that. And when the news comes, do not be cast down, but send someone else immediately to take the vacant place. Unquote. McKay's words were still ringing in the director's ears when the news came that one of the eight had died. A total of five of them died in the first year, and by the end of the second, McKay was the only one left. Out of eight, one left. And then McKay has this wonderful and long and amazing missionary career and dies at 40 years of age. Uh, so don't talk to me about count the cost. I, I have worked in two open countries, Swaziland and Papua New Guinea, where... I'm totally free to love people for Jesus' sake. And I've never been persecuted, and some of you have been. So I can't do that. I can't go there. And if some of you uh, uh, feel led, I think we can have time to hear stories of, of real cost. But not from me. I want to uh, look at a scripture this morning. Uh, 
while you're thinking about what, what questions and directions that we might go, it's Mark chapter 4. I know nobody carries hard copy Bibles. Some of you may have digital Bibles. I don't actually understand how that works, but that's all right. I know it exists. But if you look at Mark chapter 4, and we won't take time to read it all, but, uh, but a few of the scriptures I want to focus on. Jesus is teaching by the lake, and he uh, shares three parables in Mark chapter 4. First one is the parable of the soil, or the seed planted in soil, and, and you all know it, and this is a parable that's explained to us, the four types of soil, seed gets planted, and, and there's one good soil, uh, and three that aren't so good. And then a couple of parables of the kingdom, a parable that the kingdom is like uh, the farmer who plants seed, goes to sleep, and it grows all by itself. And, and another parable that the kingdom is like uh, mustard seed, and you plant it, and it becomes this tree. And then the verses I want us to focus on this morning are verses, uh, it start at verse 33. And with many, and I'm reading from the uh, New King James. And with many such parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. But without a parable, he did not speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. On the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. It took us about three years to build the new hospital. Some of the, some of the pictures uh, at the beginning of the video show the new hospital being constructed. AusAid, Australian Aid, paid for that. $2.1 million. Um, we had been in an old hospital for, since uh, the 1960s, but it needed to be replaced. The Australians have a very secular government and we, when we approached them about it, uh, they said, uh, we're going to ignore your mission statement, your purpose statement, uh, because we can't participate in anything that's religious or Christian. So we're going to pretend we didn't see it, although I was holding it right in front of their faces. <laughs> but you guys are providing health care and... We're very excited about somebody providing health care. So here's $2.1 million. Build your hospital. Take care of patients. They want to... Uh, Australia is very interested in the stability of Papua New Guinea as a, as a near and significant neighbor to them. And health care is a huge issue to them. And education is the other one. They'll invest in that. And so we built the, we built the hospital and... And uh, the day came for us to move across. And as we were moving across, I knew that this was a likely place for there to be uh, spiritual battles. And I wrote an email to the whole team and said, hey, let's be in prayer and let's maintain our unity and let's do this. And we, we broke apart. 
It was over an issue of whether we're going to open on Saturday or Monday. And there were strong feelings that we needed to open on Saturday. And there were strong feelings we needed to open on Monday. And accusations started going back and forth and name calling. And I was devastated. So I have never been persecuted, but I've, I've been <laughs> laid out when we broke. In this day when we were supposed to be celebrating, uh, we broke. And uh, shortly thereafter, on the morning of New Year's Day, two of our girls, national staff, snuck out in the middle of the night. Uh, One of them was a third-year college of nursing student, and another one worked for us in x-ray. And they got in a car with two boys from off the station, lots of beer, and started driving east. And drove for a couple of hours and were drinking and driving and carrying on. And the road by Garoka is this very high mountain cliff something. And they drove right off the side of that cliff and went to 150 feet in the air. And the van tumbled and crunched and the two boys were dead and the two girls were critically injured. One of the girls, Ginny the College of Nursing student, was thrown out when the van first hit the side of the cliff and her body was laying on the the wall of the cliff. And the other girl was tangled up in the wreckage in in the back of that vehicle, tangled up with the dead body of a boy. And Papua New Guineans heard the car go over the cliff and they went down and extracted uh, the Regina from the back of that van, tangled van, and Jenny was unconscious, and they carried both of them out of uh, off the wall of that cliff and took them to the government hospital in that area. So I got the call in the early morning that Jenny uh, and Regina were critically Injured, wasn't certain whether they were going to live or not. And I got the circumstances of the story. Ginny and Regina were both uh, girls from our neighboring tribe. They were, they were related to each other and, and, and they're my neighbors right across the uh, fence beyond my garden. I got in a car and drove the three hours down to Garoka and found the girls in the hospital there. Uh, pneumothorax, hemothorax, broken legs. Uh, both of them conscious by this time. I talked to the doctors that were there and they said, hey, yeah. Uh, they're too sick for us to do the wound care or reduce the fractures. Uh, we don't have x-ray, we don't have ultrasound, we don't have 
the medicines. Groke is a, a big government hospital, but that doesn't mean it works well. And I uh, tried to uh, reassure the girls that uh, we loved them and cared about them and and uh, would try to see that they got the care that they needed. I went back to Kujip and talked to the parents of the two girls. And I said, would you like us to bring those girls back to Kujip? And they were shocked. These were a couple of families that had given us a lot of problems over, uh, over the years. And the dads you would do that? And I said, yeah, if, if you want me to do that, I'll do that. And, and uh, oh, they, oh, yes, please. And so I arranged, somebody here worked with Bud Morton. Bud Morton was, uh, is a doctor with New Tribes. And, and I called Bud, and he arranged a, an airplane, and we flew the girls over the top. Yeah, there was no way they could survive the, the road trip, but we flew them back to Kujip and we did the wound care and the x-rays and the ultrasound and gave them the blood and gave them the medicines. And we were able to, we were able to help them and, and save their lives. And we broke over that. I had dear friends national staff that that are dear friends of mine who were deeply, deeply offended that I had done that. I didn't use I didn't use hospital money to do it. I used donor funds to to fly them back to Kujip. But uh there was a thinking, there was an argument made there that there had been sin in our camp. And we need to cast the sin out of our camp in order for God to bless us in the camp. It's, you, you can do it in Old Testament. You can, you can, you can make that argument. Um, I'm living more in Luke 15 and the prodigal son. And have I gotten a hundred sheep and one's lost, the shepherd goes out and he finds them and he brings them back. But, but uh, they were deeply offended that we had rescued those girls and we broke again. I guess we broke so much that I am no longer in administration <laughs> from that. I went back to taking care of patients. But... Uh, few days after that, I was playing with the missionary kids and uh, Jim Radcliffe, and we had a football game out on the field, and one of the Radcliffe kids came out, and as she uh, looked over the field, her eyes caught mine, and there was a look there that uh, that sent a chill down my spine. She knows something, and I'm about to know it. And she went right to her dad, and dad listened, and then he turned to me, and I thought, Marsha's, Marsha's in trouble. 
And he said, uh, Marcia's just hit a child on the road. Uh, Highlands Highway, busy highway, no sidewalks. The people are right there on the side. And just a quarter mile from the hospital as Marcia was coming home, uh, a little guy named Raymond, he he had looked one way, he had seen a truck coming that way, and he had waited for that truck to get by, and then he had charged out. And Marcia... Uh, saw him for a, that, that he wasn't, he, she actually saw that he was about to run. But there wasn't enough time to hit her brakes, and she's driving the Land Cruiser 50 miles an hour and hits him. And his body goes flying, and Marcia can describe that. I didn't see it, but I can imagine what that was like. The rule in Papua New Guinea is when you have an accident, you don't stop. Marcia's got doctors in her car. But the rule, it's policy, is you don't stop. And Marcia's going, what should I do? And somebody says, the rule is don't stop. And it felt so wrong. And she went ahead and brought the van into the mission station. And guys ran out. Usually you beat up anybody who's involved in an accident and guys came running out with the rocks ready to stone the car and they saw that it was the mission car and their hands went down and the rocks didn't were not thrown. Jim and I and every doctor in the place headed for the emergency room and the vehicle I think right behind you picked up the body of Raymond and brought him into the hospital and we had we had everybody on Raymond, and uh, Raymond made it. He survived a Land Cruiser head-on at 50 miles an hour. He made it, but uh, but I was pretty beat up by the time all that. The PNG's a compensation. Society, you you pay when bad things happen, and 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 there was a number of things that had to happen in order for us to be able to remain there and restore relationships, and and those things were able to happen. I suspect that those disciples, when they were listening to the parable of the soils and the seed, assumed that they were the good soil. I bet you, you and I assume that too. I bet you we read that and go, that's us. We're the good soil. Well, they weren't. They were wrong. And then in this scripture, you see that uh, Luke tell, Mark tells us that, that uh, Jesus did not teach them without using a parable. And I've wondered why that verse is in there. Jesus did not teach them without using a parable. And, and I think that that is the hint that they're about to step into a, a parable of their own. I believe that when Jesus, uh, when Mark gives us that insight and then Jesus says, let's cross over to the other side, he's making it personal. And so they start to cross, and the storm comes. 
And what do they do? Lord, save us, we're drowning. And what does Jesus say? You don't get it, do you? You didn't catch it about what the kingdom of God is like. You didn't catch it about the good soil. Said, he said, where is your faith? Where is your faith? The first storm that comes up, you doubt me. You don't trust me. And so if there is any cost that I have learned something about, it's that uh, so when that storm comes, Jesus is in my boat. He wants to see an exercise of faith right then and right there. That which he has taught me has to be applied. My trust and my confidence in him is demonstrated when the storm comes. I was had an opportunity to give a talk to a, a community hospital in Northern California on one of my furloughs, and it was a medical talk. And we get a lot of interesting cases. Can you can you tell that that, that those the small samples? I mean, we could do that slide production for a whole weekend conference. You could just go through it. Um, Amazing uh, uh, clinical cases. And that was the emphasis of that conference uh, that day, that that talk. And afterwards, a good friend of mine, Jim Drennan, he's a cardiologist. He's not a Christian. And Jim says to me, wow, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to do. I'm ready to pick up and move and go right now. And I said, well, Jim, that's only part of the story. That's not really a very accurate representation of what medical missions is all about. Those are interesting stories, and that's a good thing. But, but Jim, I need to take you out to breakfast, or you can pay for the breakfast. But uh, we, need, we need a little time together so that you understand a little more of the picture. So we said, yeah, let's, Tuesday morning, let's, let's go out together. And we did. And, and I said, okay, here's some more of the story. Hagen Hospital, government hospital, ambulance hits a little kid. Uh, and he's badly injured with a ruptured spleen and some other injuries. And because it is the Hagen Hospital ambulance that's hit, that hit him... He cannot be cared for at Hagen Hospital. You, you, you're, you have an adversarial relationship immediately and a compensation thing that's about to happen. And so they bring the little boy to Nazarene Hospital and we take care of him and we uh, operate on him and, we, and he, he does well. The family comes to me of this little boy and says, we want to report uh, about... Uh, this injury because we're demanding compensation from Hagen Hospital and this ambulance. And I said, I know you are. I'm, I've been here a while and I know how this works. And you have the little boy and you have, this, and you have the medical record. You don't need a report from me. Uh, you guys are working on it. I know even right now you've made your demands. And they said, no, we, we need the report. Well, the Rule was 150 kina, which is 
about $50 for us to do a typed report. We were actually trying to discourage doing a lot of report writing. We want to see sick people and not spend much of our time on paperwork. So, so 150 kina, non-refundable. I told them, non-refundable. Don't even come back and ask for it. You don't need this report. You're insisting on this report. You, if, if I'm going to do this report, you're going to pay 150 kina and, uh, and the, the issue's done. They uh, said, okay, we understand perfectly. We, that's, that's the deal, 150, because they're going to get 8,000 kina for this injury. And so this 150 is no, no big deal to them. They, they pay it. We do the report. We give it to them. They come back some days later. Uh, we've settled our compensation demand with Hagen Hospital, but your report wasn't necessary. I know that. You know that. We talked about this. We don't need to. Three guys come in to a very tiny office. It's just room for, for the four of us. And they've got their bush knives. And they said, we want our, we want our money back. I said, well, there is no refunds on these reports. And we've already been through this discussion. And they said, uh, we've never killed a missionary before. Thanks. And I'm Irish, and I've got a temper, and I said, let's take this outside, guys. <laughs> After uh, a lot of back and forth, uh, I had some ability to work a compromise with them, and I said, uh, we're, we're, we're going to refund you 75 kina, and, and this matter is done. And they said, okay. And they went out, and they came back and said, no, we want the other 75 kina as well. They've got 8,000 kina from Hagen Hospital. Now they want the other 75. If I give on this point, then everybody in the world is going to be there asking for the refunds. And, and so I, I hold the line with them, and because I'm stubborn. Pretty soon, they, I say, no way, go away. Pretty soon, one of the staff from the hospital come to me, and she's crying, and she's one of our receptionists. And she says, uh, why won't you give them that other 75 kina? Uh, well, because it's a principle that I don't think we want to violate right here, right now, just because they're young, tough guys with bush knives, machetes. And uh, she said, well... They've told me that they're going to wait beside the road and they're going to rape me as I'm going home unless you give them the 75 kina. Okay. I go out, I find the guys, and I say, uh, you guys, you, yeah, I'm, this is really getting ugly. And if... Uh, if you do anything, I'm going to castrate all three of you. <laughs> and I'm going to do it. I'm not much of a missionary. <laughs> the, ne the, ne the next day... My boss, my supervisor on the, on the field, gave him the 150 kina, said, Bill, you're crazy. You're, you're crazy. You're, you're gonna. 
With many parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. Without a parable, he did not speak to them. When they were alone, he explained all things to us, his disciples. And evening comes and he says, let's cross over to the other side. And now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose. And the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. He was in the stern asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care? Do you not care that we are perishing? Doubt. And he arose and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. And Jesus said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And that's, uh, that's the challenge to me. Why is it that you are so fearful that you have no faith? And so I pray that I will always be mindful that Jesus is in my boat. And that windstorm all around me, there's some lesson to be learned in it. I don't want to miss it. Jesus is teaching me in my own parable. Open it up. What, uh, what do you want to talk about? What questions do you have? It can be last night. It can be something for Marcia. You may have a story of cost. I've, I've written some notes about cost, but then I said, whoa, Bill, <laughs> you don't know anything about cost. Open mic. Yes. Raise my children in America was a given. Mm-hmm. Gonna do that. Yeah. Somebody once asked us, uh, which stage of your life is harder? Uh, taking little kids to the mission field or leaving big kids at home. You guys know the answer to that? There's no comparison. It's easy to take little kids to the mission field. It's hard to leave big kids at home. And, uh, and our kids have struggled. Um, uh, we have three. Uh, our oldest is married and uh, two grandkids in Boston. We were, and we were just there with them. We used the opportunity of this conference to see them. And Thursday, as we're flying out of Boston, I'm waking my eight-year-old grandson up and saying, we're, we're leaving. And he is just crying and crying and crying. And I know that Ten minutes after we're gone, he probably was okay, but, but I'm not. I'm not, I'm not okay with that. I'm not okay that, uh, that there have been so many goodbyes over the 28 years. 
so many tearful goodbyes. And I, and after every one, I remind myself Tolkien's words, uh, not all tears are bad. And I recognize that all those goodbyes, all those tears, all those separations um, are only tearful because everything's good. Because, because, because we have these people that we love and they love us and there, there are so many blessings that are behind those tears. But, but those separations, there's, there's one in an airport that just sticks in my heart and mind. All three of our kids standing there and Marsh and I going back without any of them, going back to the mission field and, and, then, uh, and then the struggles of them not having a home and a place and not feeling at home anywhere. These are these uh, are painful, and if if you want to pray for my kids, pray for my kids. <laughs> yes. Yes. Is that Micon up there? His, yeah. His question, what's it like to be married to a spouse who is uh, a medical missionary? Um, yeah, I can only answer for me personally. Uh, I, I love being married to Bill. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> Most of the time. <laughs> There's a downside. Um, yeah, I, 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 uh, I'm a very good detail person. He's our speaker. I do the uh, logistics. The work. I, it's, it's getting harder as I get older. I keep telling him, you're going to have to help me. I keep forgetting things. And so far, he's not been any help. <laughs> and it's unlikely that I'll become <laughs> a better help. Yeah. Um, when I was young, I, I never felt a call to missions. I, um, I felt a willingness to do whatever God wanted me to do. I did feel like it was God's will for me to marry Bill. So when he felt called to missions, I felt called to missions. Um, I have very much felt like a medical missionary. I'm not a medical person at all. You certainly don't want me. She's got a lot of advice, though. (laughs) But, yeah, I'm a woman. Um, (laughs) um, Yeah, so I I feel very much a part of the work that we do. In, In all honesty, if it wasn't me, it would have to be somebody else. Bill can't do this alone. And I'm very... Wouldn't be able to I'm survive very well aware on his own. Of that. And I'm very, yeah. I'm very happy with the role God has given me. Uh, it's a great, it's a great blessing to be a part of the work in any way, shape, or form. Um, yeah, and, and so I think. But I will say um, that 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 people know Bill. Some people don't have any idea who I am. I go everywhere he goes, and I cannot tell you the number of times people have said, oh, yeah, we had Bill come and speak. They have no idea I was even there. So you have to, you have to be willing to let that go. And, 
and, and it's okay with, I mean, it's, it's good for me, actually. It's not even just okay, it's good for me. And I know that in my father's eyes, I'm not nothing. I, I'm not a nobody. I'm not somebody who didn't show up. And, the, and that's really what God has for all of us, is that we need to recognize who we are in Him. <laughs> Medical Missions uh, has benefited greatly by the networking that is possible in this day and age. And it takes a lot of things to make a medical mission go. It takes, it takes uh, a church at home, a sending church. It takes people who say, well, I'm not called to go, but I am called to organize medicines and supplies or provide a pathology service or train or teach or it, it, it takes everybody. Marsha is our key player on, this, on the ground. She's coordinator of our field office and she's doing all these logistical things to get our short-termers in and our containers in and keeping everybody's house functional and She's doing. She's she's the one indispensable piece of of our mission. Uh, it's it's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and marriage, uh, where two people agree that this is what God has called us to do, is a, is a huge help. I think there was a session on, on how tough it is to be a single on the field. And I think uh, that that's a very valid discussion. It is tough. And I know nothing about cost. It's been good. Count it all joy. Well, I wonder if I did or whether I failed, you know. Uh, I think the, your generation is going to pay more attention to that dynamic and teach me how I should have done it. I, I think in Swaziland I probably violated that uh, an awful lot. It was, it was so hard. It was so busy. The needs were nonstop. The nights were, went so long. And we were just there eight years, 85 to 93, and I knew uh, all the time that this pace will kill me. It'll, it's going to use me up. And so Papua New Guinea has been a real blessing because it is a more reasonable pace. The Swaziland Hospital was 300 beds. Just go as fast as you could, as hard as you could, as long as you could. And Papua New Guinea uh, is uh, a little tamer compared to that. Yeah, I, I wouldn't recommend imitation of what I did in the first eight years. 
but it's more reasonable now and I trust it can be for you and, and your team. He didn't. Um, we, we nationalized the hospital in Swaziland. The church brought us home. The, the Swazis said, what's going to happen to us? As the church was bringing us home. And I said, no, you, you'll be good. It'll be okay. And I was lying and I knew I was lying. And the transition went very rough. And I hear that things are getting better. And then, uh, and then we were given opportunity to, to get back to the mission field uh, in 1996. So, so and, and I think most of us in the church would say we made mistakes in the, in the uh, premature nationalization of our hospital in Swaziland. Uh, and that we uh, may be responsible for some of the suffering that resulted of that. Nationalization during that time, I mean, that was a huge word it being discussed. That that's what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to work yourself out of a job. And then I, some of us said, why? Is that in the Bible? Where does that come from? Work yourself out of a job. Uh, a different philosophy is, let's do this thing together. Let's build the kingdom of God together. I, it really, we, it doesn't matter what race or color or background we are. If this is a project that God has put us together in, let's do it together. And so nationalization may have lost its rationale. Uh, there are, of course, uh, many areas where a national can do it a lot better than, than a missionary. That's great. Let's, let's do that. And then uh, uh, there may be a place where a missionary can offer something. Let's do that too for the kingdom. We do. We have a couple of ways we do that. We have a community-based health care program that, that um, is very consistent with the first plenary session and Brian Fickert uh, uh, go get out there, talk to the communities and villages and let them solve these problems. Generate some discussion and, and find out what resources do we have and how can we fix it and how can we make it better. And, and, uh, and these are CBHC principles that, uh, that uh, we believe in. And he also made allowance. He said, some of you are doctors and, and maybe relief. And I thought, yeah, the emergency room is a setting where you don't, uh, don't really say, uh, hey, what do you think your problem is? And, and what, do you, what do you have to fix it? You actually, you actually stop the bleeding. So, so I, think, I think you can have some flexibility in that. And we have... Uh, great excitement for community-based health care and primary health care services that, that go out in, with a, a mobile clinic and take it to the village. 
out there to do do uh, preventative and primary health care in the village. It's it's uh, we're a broad spectrum. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, the the community-based healthcare is is run by uh, community health workers. Uh, we have trained. Uh, we have a nursing college within the hospital, and part of the curriculum there is uh, CBHC. And so we're sending these folks out to sit down with village elders. You know, in a in a village, they have a system already of, of the way that's structured and governed. And so we sit down with those who are in leadership in the village. We ask them, uh, what, pro- what problems do you have in the village? What resources do you have? Uh, is there ways that uh, together we can begin to address these things? Uh, that can be combined with uh, effective evangelism, getting to know uh, the village and staying with them and, and working with them in evangelism and discipleship. And we, uh, many people have done it better than us. We're trying to get there with it. Dan Fountain was the, was the papa, Papa Blongrown. Uh, he was the father of that. And, and uh, we're trying to follow. You know, I, I haven't done very well. Uh, the, the, that episode with, with the two girls rescuing them, even though um, it, it, it stung us pretty bad when we started breaking o- over it, it didn't sting us for my relationship with my neighbors. It was the best thing I could ever do so that, the, so that those families, even though they still have issues, with the hospital, consider me part of their family. The compensation idea that runs the culture means that they owe me. And I let that stand because it works. It, it, it generates a, a dialogue between us. We're very comfortable uh, talking to each other and hearing each other. And I, I don't think there's been anything in my mission career that was ever as effective is going out and bringing those two girls back to build a bridge so that, so that we can hug each other rather than argue with each other. Okay, Kim is saying that the difference in medicine in in America and Papua New Guinea is is enormous. In fact, I had a, a an American doctor stop me once and say, "What's uh, what, how do they compare?" And I said, "Well, there's actually no overlap. <laughs> there, 
there's, a, there, there's really nothing the same. Um, and so, so how does a short-term person uh, come in and, and adjust to, to Papua New Guinea medicine? And, and, uh, and basically, uh, if, if you're a short-termer, go in and listen really well. Consider yourself a listener, not a doer. Go over there and say, say, how can I help? This is the way that I've been doing it, but I need to understand the way you're doing it. And pretty much assume you don't have any diagnostic capability at all. You don't have lab or x-ray or anything. You, you need to do this with, and your histories are worthless. So, so, so look, look at your patient and try to, try to figure it out. I mean, they're coming from a different worldview and you, you'll be amazed at the story that they will tell you that has nothing to do. You're, you're, yeah. So, uh, so I have become convinced that the best providers are the best listeners. And if, if, if there's any key to short-term missions, it's, it's to go over and listen. Thank you. I think our time is up. God bless you all. Great joy to be with you.